Good morning, everyone. So turn with me to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, this morning. And let's begin this morning by reading the first eight verses of this great book. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 reads this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which much, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written, uh, which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia Minor, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says, uh, says the Lord, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we humbly open your word. We humbly proclaim your word this morning. Father, help us to uh, learn and glean from it. Lord, let it be a blessing to our hearts, Lord. Let your word uh, have such a, a compelling uh, a function in our lives in which it, it dictates the way we walk, the way we think, the way we uh, conduct ourselves in this world, Lord. Father, help me as I... Uh, relay what you have laid in my heart, Lord. I ask all these things, your son's name, amen. So I was talking to my brother Dave this morning, and I said to him, I said, you know, the word of God is like a eternally deep well, just profoundly deep. And as I study, I feel like my mind is nothing but a sippy cup. And all I can get is a sippy, sippy cup's worth, and and so I, 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 I'll be completely honest with you this morning. I feel overwhelmed. Um, not just because it's, it's his word. Yes, his word is always overwhelming. But also it's this book, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It, 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 it's, it's, so I'll ask you this. When I say to you, what do you think of when you think of the book of the revelation, right? I'm not, I'm not asking you to answer, but like think in your mind, right? I, I'll be honest with you, the book of the Revelation has always kind of scared me. It's always been kind of difficult for me. You read it, it, it it's, it's a lot of visions, right? You think of visions when you think of Revelation. You think of symbols as well, right? Uh, you almost think of, of, of it being like an enigma, right? A riddle that we need to figure out, the book of the Revelation. And, but the, the reality is this. 
the the revelation, the word itself is apocalypsis in in the in the Greek. The word itself, you know what it means? To unveil, to reveal, thus revelation. And this book should be a book of revealing to us. And yet it's shrouded with such a, a, a confusion. It's shrouded with such a, a, a almost a, a fear of it. I, I mean, at least that's how I've always treated it. I can speak for myself. I, I, I read it and, and well, what, what does this mean? What does that mean? Well, I think the Lord had me to kind of put my nose between the, the pages and, and really take a crack at it. And it not, I'm, I'm not, I've not come to completely understand it. I, I don't claim that at all. But I, I'm thankful for the opportunity to dig deeper and to have a little better understanding of this wonderful book. In it, which is, re, is revealed. Who's revealed, by the way? It's Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Christ doesn't scare us, does it? then why should this book scare us? Now, let's, let's do our, uh, our due diligence in an introduction of this book. First, we must talk about who is the author, who's the writer of this book. Uh, the answer is hopefully obvious to you. We read already in verse 4, right? Who, who's, who's this John? John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, right? Right? Um, it's the Apostle John, and, it, and it's not only here in verse 4, if you look down in verse number 9, say, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and, uh, in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, we have further confirmation of who this writer was. It was John. It was John, John the Apostle. Now, it's interesting that it gives us a little detail, these little markers, right? We first, it's just John. Well, could it, could it be any guy named John? There's a lot of Johns out there. Well, we, we learned that this John was in the Isle of Patmos, which gives us a little more detail, doesn't it? The Isle of Pat- Patmos is a small, tiny island off of the Aegean Sea there off of the coast of Turkey. Now, church tradition and church history tells us that the Apostle John in his old age was sent to a prison camp on the Isle of Patmos to work the mines. And, and, and uh, the guy's name was Emperor uh, Dimetian was his name, who, which came after Nero. And, and the reason he sent them out there because he, he, was, he was expelling Christians from Rome and, for, and from his empire. And he wanted nothing to do with them, and, which is exactly what John is saying here. He says, hey, I'm, I'm your fellow brother companion in tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so he finds himself up for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It is John the Baptist who was the one who penned these pages. Now, that also helps us with the date of this book. Now, there, there's a little bit of debate as far as the book. There's an earlier date and an older date, right? And I'm not going to bore you with the details because I don't think I could regurgitate to you all the information. But uh, most scholars will believe that it's the later date. And the dates are, are 81 to 96 uh, A.D. Are, are, are the time frame. The reason for it is that Emperor Diomitian uh, uh, ruled from 81 A.D. to 96 A.D. So it was written in that time frame, right? It was it was late. Now you may ask yourself, why is that important? Well, think about it. The, the, the Lord died 
His apostles have, have, have gone and preached the gospel. At, at, at 90, uh, I'm sorry, at 96 AD, they were all gone. The only one that remained was John the Apostle. And, and this is the last book of the New Testament or the last revelation written to the churches. And, and that, that should carry a, a sense, uh, an air of weight to it, doesn't it? Uh, these are the last words of God to his people. That is significant. I, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I wish I would have looked it up, but um, there, there was this man, uh, a father, who had pancreatic cancer, and he took it upon himself in his college class to, to write lessons to his son. And this, this video went viral. I don't know if you've maybe seen it or, or remember it. And, and, and it was a very good video. And, and this man who was dying from pancreatic cancer gave a synopsis to his son. His, his son was a very small child of all his wisdom. And, and, and he did it amazingly within a five-minute range. And it was wonderful, wonderful wisdom, Right? And that video went viral because of the significance of it. Here's a man at the end of his road looking back and compiling all that he understands and all that he knows and is trying to equip his young son for life itself. And it carries weight and there's, there's, there's weightiness to what is being said. And so here is the Lord Jesus Christ, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to his churches. And, and, and listen, I would even draw it even closer to you, bigger in your mind, right? We have Isaiah, we have Jeremiah, we have Ezekiel. We have these great prophets in the Old Testament. And they prophesied towards the coming kingdom, the, 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 the millennial reign of the, of the Lamb of God. But you know, without Revelation, we wouldn't know the end of it. Because Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel don't give us a full picture of God's timeline. So the, the, the book of the Revelation is, is significant to the believer. It's significant in the candid of Scripture, for it completes. It, it's it's, it's the, the end, as it were. It's the last chapter. It, it ties up all the loose ends. There's no loose ends left. So the significance of the book of the Revelation. Now, in regards to theme, there, there's a lot of themes in the book of the Revelation. A lot of things that we can we can follow along and trace as we read and study this book, um, but the main and pivotal point of it all, and the theme the main theme of it all is Jesus Christ. We read it in verse one of chapter one, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the theme of the book. There's a lot of sub themes in there, like I'll give you for example. There, there's there's this constant referral of the nearness of something it, it's it's at hand it says in fact we read it in verse two uh it, it says i'm sorry in verse one it says uh the things which must shortly take place you see that and it happens again let me see here uh in verse in verse number verse number three at the end of verse number three it says to keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And you have this language of the eminency of God's judgment. The eminency of God's coming to the world. And that's just one of the many themes that you see in this book of the Revelation. But the primary focus of it is always Jesus Christ. It's always the Son. It's always Christ and Him glorified. That is the focus and the theme 
of this book. Now, our brother Malcolm did uh, alluded to this morning, and I hope you caught it. Uh, look at verse 3 of this chapter. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. This is one of the few books in the Bible that you have blessing given to those who would just simply read it and and hear it. Listen, we talked about the fact that this book can be hard to understand. Yes, that is true. But read it anyways. Listen to it anyways. It, it comes with a promise. It comes with blessing. If you just simply read it, and hear it. Now, now I, granted, I, I will say this. That there, there needs to be more than just, uh, hey, I'm going to read. Blah, blah, blah. No, there needs to be a, a, a discerning reading, a, 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 a trying of understanding of hearing. The, the words in the Greek are, are a little more substantial than just a, a light reading through it. There needs to be some mental exercise in it all. But there is blessing in it. Now, you may ask yourself, why, why, why would this book particularly have blessing on it? Why would the Lord and through the Holy Spirit and, 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 and would have John write this in such a way? I mean, you think about this. We can look at it. We were just looking at the book of Romans. A wonderful book. A, a, a book in which it gives us these, these gargantuan truths, these foundational truths. And we can spend weeks, months of our lives studying a book like Romans. And yet there is no guaranteed blessing for the book of Romans. Now, I'm not saying that there is no blessing if you study the book of Romans. There, there, absolutely. Anytime you study the Word of God, anytime you spend time in the Word of God, you're spending time with Him. And that is a blessing. But there is a unique blessing there is to spending time reading and hearing from the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. So, uh, we've talked about the author, we talked about the date, and we, we talked about the theme. Now, l- let me back up into the author. I, forgot, I missed something because I'm getting ahead of myself. Yes, the, 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 the one who wrote this book was John the Apostle. But did it originate from him? No. It wasn't John's idea. He wasn't on the Isle of Patmos and, and starved and, and started hallucinating. Look down at verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Who's the author of this book? Who's the one who gave us this book? It is God the Father Himself. He gave it to the Son, Him being capitalized, to show His servants, plural, things which must surely take place. And He sent signified by His angel to His servant John. To His servant John. So we have the the author of this book, this author of this letter being God the Father, giving giving it to the Son, and the Son giving it to His angel, and the angel giving it to John, and John, give it to who? Well, yes, us. Look at at verse 4, it says, John to the seven churches, which are in Asia Minor. We're not in Asia Minor, I understand that. But the, the, the principle lies the same, right? This was written to the churches. It was written to the churches. Now, I would like to illustrate that a little bit here. Who is it written to? Who's the audience of this book? Now, we've already signified that the audience was the churches, right? Uh, we can see this again. It starts at the beginning of Revelation. Uh, if you turn all the way to the end of chapter 22, 
We see this to be true all the way at the end. And, and there's a point behind this. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, um, hang on, no, that's the wrong verse. It's in, it's in 22. Give me one second. If you find churches in verse 20, in chapter 22, scream it out for me. I, it's not in my notes here. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Thank you, brother. That's exactly what I was looking for. Right? So he, here, here's the book end. The, the book starts with a letter to the churches. It ends to the churches, right? And so you may say, well, well, this was written to the seven churches in Asia Minor. And we look at chapter 2 and chapter 3, and therefore it was written to them. Listen, by the end, it's Asia Minor is no longer there. It's speaking to the churches in general. And I will go one step further for you. It's not just to the churches. I think it's to you and to me as an individual. Look at, at the call to the individual churches. Go to chapter 2, and you'll see the same call to every single church that, that, that the letter went out to. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 2, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, it's not longer talking generally to the church. It's talking to the one sitting in the church. He who has an ear, let him hear. Let him hear. And um, to him who overcomes, I will give uh, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, right? It, it's the, the letter, and the, and the, I'm sorry, in the book of Revelation is written to the churches, and it's written to the individual. So, there is our authorship. Okay, now, let's talk about the way we interpret this book. Um, before I do that, I do have a PowerPoint here. Let me get here going here. All right, uh, this is an out, uh, just a general outline. I, I would not, um, I would not be too dogmatic about it. Um, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I've set to try to find my own outline, and I, I could not come to my own satisfaction. So this is one that I got from uh, Unger's uh, Bible commentary, which I thought was very fitting. So this is just a general outline of the book, um, just so we have an idea of the outline of the book. Uh, this is one of the unique books in Scripture, which they, it gives us an outline. Uh, you don't have to sit there and fish for it. But there's three major sections to the book. And three major sections to the book is found in chapter 1, verse 19. Go ahead and look down at it, and we can read it together. Chapter 1, verse 19. Here we have the breakdown of the book. It says, this is uh, being told to John. It said, John, uh, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this, right? And so we have three different sections in this book. He's to write the things which he sees, the things that are, and the things which will take place after this. And the book is broken down in this section. And so you, as you can see there in my outline, hopefully that's not too small for you. Uh, chapter 1, we have this vision in Patmos. We have the risen Christ amongst the candle stands. These are the things that are seen uh, secondly, you have the letter to the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3. These are the things which are the pr currently present things which are, are, are pertaining to John and the church today. And then everything, everything from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22, the things which will take place after this. 
And so the entirety of the book is, is, is broken down into these three main sections. Now, before we get into some of those details, I want to talk about the way this book is interpreted. Now, that in itself is a bit convoluted. There, there is a lot of different views and perspective on how uh, different groups have interpreted this book. Now, I, I have uh, generally broken down into three different types, three different ways of interpreting this book. Um, the first is, is the one who view the book, the entirety of the book, as in the past. They're called preterists. They view the entirety of the content of the uh, of the book of the Revelation as already having had happened. Right? So not only did, did the vision of the Christ already had happened, the letter to the churches already had happened, but these actual events have already happened in human history and therefore are all in the past. Now, I generally would tell you I don't agree with that view. Uh, there, there's a lot of problems with that view. I, you can't fit some of these things in human history that have occurred. Some of these blatant, very, very large events in human history uh, that are going to happen have not happened in our human history so far. Um, the, the, the second view or the second interpretation of this book is, is what I would call the idealist or, or the, the, the non-literal group. By the way, in these divisions, there's subdivisions and subdivisions, so I won't bore you with all the, all the ist, I should say. But the, 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 the second group are, are what you call non-literal. They would take the entirety of the book and they would, they would, uh, 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 spiritualize it. It's all an allegory. Now, here's the problem with allegorizing the entirety of the book, is who sets the standard for the allegory? That, that really does open a can of worm, doesn't it? Let's the cat out of the bag. I'm not sure why there's a cat in the bag, but anyway, it lets the cat out of the bag, as it were. Right? It's, it's left to, to individual interpretation. And this guy says, well, this means this and this means that. Uh, well, we're, we have no solid footing, do we? And that's a problem with this, this I, I, idealist perspective of, uh, of non-literal function, non-literal looking at it, um, at the, at the book itself. And then the, the, the third view is where I would land. And it's this, this, this futurist view. The view of what the breakdown of the book tells us it is. Right? It's, it's, it's things that he has seen. It's things that are and things that will come to past being future events. These, some, these things here have not yet happened in my mind. I don't see these things happen in human history. They're yet to come. And so I take everything from chapter four on all the way on as being yet in the future. They're yet to happen. So, those are the three main ways of interpreting. Now, along with interpretation, um, there is within each group a lot of divide about how to interpret this book. And, and um, I just want to take some time to kind of discuss these things with you. I, I, I loved, uh, there, there's a story about, about uh, uh, C.H. Spurgeon, right? Um, a, a man was upset with him, and, and the story goes that, that he ran up to Spurgeon and opened the Bible in an obscure uh, prophet and read a passage and said, Spurgeon, do you know what this means? Do you understand what it is? And Spurgeon very calmly said, yes, I do. And he says to him, it means exactly what it says. Now, it, it, that, that's a bit pride, prideful in a, in a sense, or arrogant in a way, but the, the, there is truth to that. When we read this book, 
uh, uh, with its images, with its symbols, with its, with its visions. We should read it as it is. We should read it for the simple meaning that it takes. Um, uh, um, Henry H.A. Uh, uh, Ironside said this of this book, which I, I'm going to read to you. It's a beautiful quote. I, and to me, it's, it's exactly the way we should look at this book. It says, Henry Ironside said this of, of the book of the Revelation. This book is a book of symbols. But the careful student of the word need not exercise his own ingenuity in order to think out the meanings of the symbol. It may be laid down as a principle of the first importance that every symbol used in the revelation is explained or alluded to somewhere else in the Bible. Did you catch that? How do we interpret these symbols? Well, we interpret these symbols with the Bible. So, I I wanted to kind of illustrate this a little bit for you. Um, Now, now I, I will illustrate this to you. And I'm going to give you a couple examples, which are some are easy and some are a little more difficult. And I don't have it all figured out, the symbolism. Okay, I don't. But for I'll give you an example, right? In chapter 1 of the book of Revelation, um, in verse 12, it says, you have this vision of the Christ. Um, and John, in verse 12, says, And I turned to see the voice who spoke to me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one who is like the Son of Man, clothed with garments down to his feet, and paused there. So here we have this vision. And, and, and John turns around and sees seven golden lampstands. And one who is like the Son of Man, walking amongst the seven golden lampstands. And you may say, well, 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 I, you know, I've heard that, that the seven gold, golden lampstands uh, represent the churches. Right? And you can go, yeah, I think I've heard that too. Well, how do we know that's true? Well, let's interpret it with Scripture, right? Real simple. Uh, look down at verse 20 of the very same chapter. It says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my, in my hand, another mystery, by the way, which he reveals, and the seven lamps' hands, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So what are, what are the seven lampstands which you see in this vision? The seven churches. The churches, right? So we interpret Scripture using Scripture, right? Yes, I understand there's a lot of symbols, there's a lot of things in this book, but we can use the Scripture itself to interpret itself. So we don't have to be fanciful in our interpretation. We can just be good students of the Word of God and study them. I'll give you one more. I'll give you one more. Just to illustrate this point. Uh, turn, uh, turn to chapter 4. Chapter 4 of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's another, another vision in which he was, uh, he, the, the heavens were opened. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so let's just read it, verse 12. It says, Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and the one who sat on the throne, and he who sat was like Jasper and Sardis, uh, Sardis stone in appearance. And there was rainbows around the throne in the appearance uh, in appearance like an emerald. So obviously this is, this is a, a heavenly throne. And now verse 4 says, Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne uh, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Okay, so 
we have a, a, this view, this scene of heaven itself. And we see the throne of God and God himself uh, sitting on the throne. And around this throne was 24 smaller thrones. And on these thrones were 24 elders with white robes and golden crowns. And so I say to you, who are these 24 elders? Well, so I would, I would point to you what Mr. Ironside said. Well, let, let's just simply look at it, right? What, 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 what does it mean, first of all? Well, what is an elder? Well, an elder is one who administrates. One who, who, who takes administration in, 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 in the position in which he sits in, right? Uh, what else do we see? We see he's wearing a white robe. They're wearing white robes and they have crowns. Now, I ask you, do we see that anywhere else in the New Testament? I'll answer. Yes, we do. Are, are you not promised? A crown? A crown of glory? Are you not promised a white robe? Right? So, so we, we begin to... Now, now, when we begin to draw these lines, I, I want to be careful here. We're not going to be dogmatic about it, meaning we're, we're not going to lose fellowship with somebody over it. But we begin to see the picture, right? So we have these, these four, 24 people who sit on 24 thrones, white robes and crowns, and you go, huh, that, that kind of sounds like the church. Well, can, can we look at it again and, and, and kind of... Uh, maybe get a little more information on it. Well, yeah, we, we could. If we keep reading in verse, in verse 15, I'm sorry, verse 5, uh, in verse 5, verse 8, here you have this, this, this song, right? Uh, that, that, that is, is done by the, the four living uh, creatures and the, and the 24 elders. It says in verse 8, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll and the four living creatures, um, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, uh, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song. Now listen to the song which the 24 elders sang. Okay? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and every tongue and people and nations and have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. Did you catch their words? Did you catch the context of their words? We begin to to, to, to kind of clarify who these 24 elders are. Number one, they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Number two, they were made kings and priests to our God. Now, Now, you help me. Was that not a promise made to the church? Yeah, it absolutely was. In fact... Turn back to chapter 1. We read the verse, actually. When, 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 when John is writing to the churches and, and uh, he's describing to them. Um, uh, here we go. Where is it? Uh, who loved us and washed us in his own blood and has made us, verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, so here we have the symbol we have these 24 elders that have white robes, golden crowns. We listen to their words. And we begin to draw lines and parallels, don't we? And so, can I have a pretty good idea of the 24 elders that are sitting around the throne and, and they show up in different times throughout this book? Can I say dogmatically that it's a church? Well, I don't know if I could be dogmatic, but I have a pretty good idea. In fact, I, I would say I'm, I can almost guarantee it that it is the church. These 24 elders represent the church. And so, 
Does it make sense with the rest of Scripture, by the way? Well, I, I would tell you this. In in Revelation chapter 1, we have this vision of Christ. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we have the churches. We have the churches. And then guess what? We don't read about the churches anymore. From chapter 4 on all the way to the very end, to chapter 22, which we read that verse, where the Lord is reminding the churches, right, that He is at, he is at hand, He is coming so, what I'm posing to you is this section here, this great tribulation upon the earth, the wrath of God. The church is not going to be present there. And so, when we see the churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we don't see them in chapter 4 in the same form, do we? No. Because where is the church during the great tribulation? Oh, they're in heaven. They, 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 they've, they've gone before the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ. They've received their crown. They've received their robes. And they reign with Him. And so when we turn to John chapter 4, there's the 24 elders bowing down and worshiping the Lamb of God. So I, I hope this... We, we, can, we can spend a lot of time on this, but I hope this begins to help how we begin to read and interpret this, the Scripture. Again, we don't want to input our own fanciful uh, 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 interpretation into it, but we can look at it, and we, within Scripture, we can, uh, we can interpret Scripture with Scripture if we do it carefully and we do it precisely. Again, to help us understand some of these things. Now, let's, um, we've got a few more minutes. Let, let's, let's run down through some of this um, outline here that's behind me. Um, and what, I want to spend some time with you kind of trying to explain to you the breakdown of the book itself. Now, we, we talked about the three major sections. Um, the three major sections are clear. Now, where it becomes difficult in my mind, um, it's the third section. The third section between uh, chapters 4 and chapters 22. Um, and in this section here of the Great Tribulation on the earth, where it begins there in chapter 4, with this heavenly scene and continues on, right? And uh, the tribulation ends here, uh, approximately in chapter 19, or not approximately, in chapter 19 with the Armageddon itself. And then chapter 20 and 22, you have the millennial, the millennial reign, the last judgment, and the eternal state is found here in chapter 20 to 22. But when we begin to read this major section from chapter 6 all the way up to chapter 19, there's a lot there. And um, it's not given to us in a chronological order. Let, let, let me kind of try to illustrate to you what I mean, right? So look down, look down uh, in your pages. Go to chapter six uh, of, of the Revelation, right? Um, and in in this begins the judgments of God, right? God's judgment, and there's three sets of seven, I, I should say. In the Book of Revelation, there's three sets of seven. There there's seven sets of judgments upon the earth. There's seven seal judgments, there's seven trumpet judgments, and then there's seven bowl judgments. Now, when I say it's not a chronological order, this is what I mean. It, you see in chapter 6, you have the first seal being opened and there's a judgment. Verse 5 is the third, is the, I'm sorry, uh, yes, verse 3 is the second seal, verse 5 is the third seal, uh, 7 is the fourth seal, 5th um, is the ninth, uh, verse 9 is the fifth seal, 
Verse 12 is the sixth seal. And then we get to chapter 7. And then we're talking about a different seal in chapter 7. Now we're no longer talking about the seal of judgment, but we're talking about the seal of, of those who are going through the tribulation, and more particularly with the 144,000 uh, Jewish men, which God is going to seal to be his evangelists during the great tribulation. Now, what happened to the seventh seal? Well, the seventh seal starts in chapter 7, or chapter 8. And, and so you, you have this, this, this parentheses, as it were, of chapter 7, like a pause or a break, but it gets a little more confusing than that. Um, and I don't mean to add more confusion to your own mind, but it doesn't just continue. It's not like all these judgments are right next to each other. They're not happening one through seven and one through seven and one through seven. I think they're overlapping each other. And and to do the chronological work of it is, is quite difficult, and, and there's not quite a lot of, there's not full agreement on all where it all lands. And I did my best to try to, and I couldn't come up with a, a congruent one. Uh, to illustrate this to you, uh, a little further, and hopefully I'm not losing all of you. Um, this morning I, I, I quoted, I read from uh, Revelation chapter 11. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 11. That j- just to give you uh, an idea of uh, how these things um, line up chronologically and then start somewhere else. And I'll give you an illustration here. But um, in chapter, uh, in verse 15 of chapter 11, here's, here's what we read. Uh, this is the, the, the trumpet judgments, and this is the last of the seven trumpet judgments. In verse 15 it says, The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. I'll pause there. Okay. How do we understand that verse? Well, what does it mean? What does it, what does it tell us at face value? Well, it's saying that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of heaven. The kingdoms, I'm sorry, the kingdoms of heaven, um, the kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. When are the kingdoms of this earth becoming the kingdoms of the Christ? The answer is the millennial reign, right? After after the, the seven-year tribulation, uh, and there's Armageddon, and, and God judges the world, there's this thousand-year period in which Christ will come down upon earth, and He will reign upon earth, and He will reign physically upon the earth and the kingdoms of earth will be the kingdoms of the christ so we read a verse like that verse 15 of chapter 11 after the seventh trumpet and you go huh and then you you, you read the song of, of the of the of the 24 elders by the way uh talking about the praise of the judgment of the nations and so so it sounds to me and, and it sounds to me like like we're over here in chapter 11 but then look at look at verse 12 or chapter 12 now a great sign appeared from heaven a woman clothed in, uh, clothed with sun, with the sun and with the moon and under her feet and on her head uh, a garland of 12 stars then being with child she cried out in labor and in pains and, and giving birth and another sign appeared from heaven behold a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadem on his head his tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth and to devour her her child as soon as it was born 
And you go, where, where, where are we now? Huh? Where are we chronologically? If, if chapter 4 took us to chapter 11, uh, and, and now in chapter 12, where, where are we? So, it was helpful to me when, when I heard this from our brother Randy Amos. He's gone to be with the Lord now, but he, he, he posed it this way for me, and it helped me kind of understand this book. He said, listen, when we look at the, that section of, of the things in the future in the book of Revelation, think of it like Sports Center. And you go, what? Sports Center? Number one, I didn't think Randy Amos would watch Sports Center. And if you don't know what Sports Center is, I'll explain to you in a second. When you watch Sports Center, what does it give you? Well, it tells you, hey, the Dolphins played, I don't know who they're playing today, played so-and-so, and this was the score. They lost, obviously, because it's the Dolphins, right? And then what does it do? It begins to show you a highlight reel. And so it'll show you all the offensive plays of the Dolphins. Does the result, the end of the game change? No, it's the same. Dolphins lost. Then it's going to go back and show you the plays of the opposing team. Did the results change? No, they still lost. And then it'll go back, hey, we're going to show you the the, 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 the best plays of the game from both teams, both quarterback and running back and all the offensive plays. And then they're going to show you another another highlight reel, the defensive plays of the game. And all of it changes not the outcome of the game, does it? But it gives us a different perspective at different times of different events in the same game. Does that make sense? Now, when we look at the book of the Revelation and we begin to look at these events that happen, we can't just look at them all in in chronological order because they don't fit in chronological order. What I would tell you when we look at chapter 12, we're looking at a different perspective starting at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Do you see that? And and it happens multiple times. Uh, I I can give you another one if you like. Um, In in chapter 14, you have something very similar. In chapter 14, uh, at the end, you have this this, this scene again. It says, And I looked, and behold, a a, a white cloud, and on the cloud one sat like the Son of Man. Here's a, a vision of the Christ. Having on his head golden crowns, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust your sickle in and reap for the time has come for you to reap. The harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped again. I would post to you. I think this is a picture of Armageddon itself. This is no longer angels being given the power to judge the world, but this is Christ himself judging the world. Again, what puts us at Armageddon? Okay, well, let, let's move on to chapter 15. Then I looked and saw a sign in heaven, the great marvelous seven angels having the seven last plagues, uh, uh, for, uh, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like the sea of glass mingled and so forth, right? And so here we again, we, 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 we've come in chapter, chapter 14 to Armageddon, and then in chapter 15, again, we're back to judgments. Again, it's a different highlight reel. And I, and, I, and I say that reverently. I know it sounds irreverently, but that, that's what I believe it is. And so when we begin to read this book of the Revelation, I think we need to orient ourselves where we are in the prophecy itself. And so as we read this, understand that it's not all chronological. Understand that there's pauses. Understand there's parentheses. Understand that we sometimes go back 
Uh, it, it happens all throughout. It, 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 some, some of these uh, uh, highlight reels deal with different aspects aspect of it. There's going to be a highlight reel that's going to talk about the, 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 the Antichrist, the beast, and the, and, and the, um, and, and the dragon. And, and Babylon, the, 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 the great, and, and the fall of, the, of Babylon the great. And so all these are different perspectives, all within the same period of time, the same seven years, the great tribulation, tribulation of the earth. So hopefully that, that, that wasn't too, too confusing for you. Um, it, at least it, it helped me to kind of, as I read this book, and, I, and, and I, I've tried to consume it from beginning to end multiple times to try to have an overall picture of it. It helped me to kind of say, okay, well, th- this, this is shifting again. This is a different highlight reel, as it were. And, and, and that helps me understand it, instead of trying to understand it all in a row. Now, before I go, I do want to highlight a couple things. I, I, I would like to highlight to you this, this morning a little bit of what we see in Revelation um, chapter 1. And in the, in the first eight verses, we talked about the fact that the, 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 the book itself was written to the churches and was written to individuals. And, and one of the things that strikes me about this book is the, 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 the awe of it, the majesty of it, the glory of it, the thundering of it. The, 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 uh, the, it's almost untouchable in a way. And what do I mean by that? Well, so I would pose to you this, and in my studying, my reading, I, like this is John the Apostle. What, what is John the Apostle known for? What, what, what is his nickname in Scripture? Well, it's, it's John, it's the Apostle whom Jesus loved. It, it, it's the it's the one who who when all the disciples were looking around, say, hey, "Am I going to betray him? Am I going to?" Hey, hey, John, go lean on his chest and ask him who it is. He's the closest. Out of James, John, and Peter, he was the one who could just approach the Lord and and lean upon his chest and say, Lord, who's the one who's going to betray you? And so we see that the the, the John, this apostle John, has this this unique place, this unique uh, uh, relationship with our Lord of closeness, of, 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 of love and respect. And here we see him here. And in this great vision that we have in Romans, in Revelation chapter 1, John doesn't recognize him. John doesn't recognize him. And it made me think. I mean, look, look, look at, look at, look at, uh, I know this is part of, uh, Brian's passage, so I'm not, I'm not gonna get too deep into it because he's gonna cover it in two weeks. But, but look at, look at verse 9. Of, of, of Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. It says, John, uh, both your brother and companion, uh, skip down to verse 10. Um, I was in the Spirit in the day of the Lord, um, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of the trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, which you see right in the book, right in, right in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia Minor. Skip down. Um, to 13, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with garments, down about, I'm sorry, girded uh, about his chest with a golden band. His head, his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like fi- flames of fire. His feet were like fine brass, 
as refined as the furnace, his voice as a sound of many waters. He had in his right, uh, he had his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, this is John, I fell at his feet as dead. And so here is the, 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 the apostle which was so close to our Lord. And when, when, when being given the privilege of seeing him in all his glory, fell down as a dead man. And I will, I, and I stopped there for a reason. But I, I love the heart of our Savior. Because what did the Lord do when he, when he fell down flat on his face? It says, I fell down as dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said to me, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You know, as a young man, when, when we used to have somebody preach from Revelation or, or to, 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 to preach on, on end time themes, it, it, it scared me. It frightened me. Oh, Lord, I don't want to be left behind. Lord, I don't want anybody to be left behind. And here is the Lord saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Some of these things are difficult. Some of these things are, are, are hard to understand. Some of these things are harsh. But in the end, God is in control. He is just. He is good. He is altogether lovely. Do not be afraid. I, I, I point you to that scene. It's, it's later in the book. I, I, I want to say it's chapter 15 or so, where you have this scene of this angel who, who, who comes down and he puts his foot on the ocean and his foot on the shore and 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 is is calling for the judgment of God and he has this scroll in his hand and a voice from heaven comes to John and says John go take the scroll from his hand and, and it says that John goes to the angel and says may I have the scroll and the angel says to him take the scroll and eat it eat the scroll he says it'll be sweet in your mouth but bitter in your stomach And John took the scroll and ate the scroll. And it was sweet in his mouth and bitter in his stomach. I I would pose to you, I believe that that, that's, that's how we view these events in human history. Yes, there is a sweetness to it. There is a sweetness in which God is going to judge and there is going to be justice in this world. Oh, but there's going to be difficulty and bitterness there. For when he judges, he will judge all. He has to judge all. And I'll leave you with one final thought. In this book, we we are riddled with visions of the Christ in glorified form. In chapter 5, we when we're called to he turned to look to see the lion of the tribe of Judah, he beheld a lamb as though it was freshly slain, having seven eyes and seven horns. And, And we have this vision of the perfect Christ as the Lamb of God bearing the scars of our redemption. And that's just one of many. But in the end of this book, when he speaks to the churches, 
And the Lord, as it were, picks up the pen himself. In verse 16, he says, I, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who is and who was and who is to come. That's not what he says. Revelation chapter 2, 22, verse 16 says this, I, Jesus. Almost as it, as it was, as it were, that the, the Lord knew we cannot handle his glorified form. We cannot stand before one that, that has such glory and such holiness. But here he is, his plea to the churches is, is I, Jesus, the man, the son of man. The Messiah, I, Jesus, have sent my angel and testify to you of uh, testify of you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the spirit. And the bride says, "Come, and let him who hears come, and let him who thirsts come." Whoever desires, let him take water of life freely. Here you have Jesus calling out to you and I, calling out to all humanity in tenderness and compassion and in love. Jesus, the one who John would probably recognize. It doesn't say that John fell, so fell down and, as a dead man here. Here's Jesus, the one whom he laid his breast. The one whom he loved. The tenderness of our God. Let us pray. Our Lord and Father, we... Lord, we thank you that in this book, Lord, we know the end of all things. You have opened and revealed these things to your people and to the world. You have not sealed them up as you did in, in the book of Daniel. You specifically says not to seal these things up. They're, they're there for us to read and there for us to understand. And, and, and as we walk this earth and we see the things that are transpiring around us, whether, whether the, the, the freedoms of this country are fleeing away or, 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 or the, this world spirals downward to complete immorality, Lord, in the end, you are sovereign In the end, you will reign. In the end, you will have victory. In the end, your people will reign and be your priests. In in the end, Lord, we will stand before you and worship you in perfect harmony, Lord. Father, as you would reach out with your right hand and touch John and say, do not be afraid, Lord. Help these words comfort our hearts. That regardless of what we see around Let not fear take grip of our own hearts, Lord. And let this this book, Lord, saturate our minds. Let it be a blessing, Lord, as we endeavor to open this book and to discuss it and 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 to engage in it, Lord. Help us with your spirit, Lord. Help us to learn and help us to live it out, Lord. Help us to receive the blessing which you have here for us. I ask all these things in your son's precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.